I just loved cardiology. So that, that's really how I got into it. And then I went to uh, one of the best places for it back in the day was Indiana. And so I went to Indiana University there and I got a bunch of mentors who were interested in cardiac arrhythmias. And so my specialty is cardiac arrhythmias and I'm an electrophysiologist, as, which, is a, which is a branch of cardiology. Uh, when I went to Indiana, it was a huge triathlon community at Indiana. And so I got interested in doing triathlons and swimming. And, but when I came here to Louisville, Kentucky in 1996, it wasn't long before I got hooked up with one of the local racing teams. And then really around, you know, around 2000, started just bike racing exclusively and, you know, doing criteriums and, and uh, road races. And then, then Louisville, Kentucky actually became a hotbed of cyclocross. Uh, we actually had the, uh, the, the uh, national champion or the world championships in Louisville. So we became like an epicenter for cyclocross. And I did that uh, for many years, but you know, the last few years, I'm I'm sort of emeritus. I'm I'm kind of retired, but I like to go out and uh, I like to go out on Saturdays and, and the big training rides and see, you know, see what I've got. Yes. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is a guest for this episode. And what's fascinating is I didn't realize when, when I reached out to him, I didn't realize his background as a competitive athlete. So not only does he know about the heart from being a doctor, but he knows about the heart from being a competitive athlete. And that's Dr. John Mandrola. There are different ways that I get guests for the podcast. A lot of it, a lot of the ways I get guests is I, I find finds that are fine things that are interesting to me, whether it's new research, whether it's a new book, whether it's a speaker at a, at a fitness event where I am, or whether it's somebody who created a new product. I try to keep an eye out for those new groundbreaking things. Another way that, that I get podcasts, I get guests on the podcast, is having PR people reach out to me to promote to promote a guest. Well, this episode, I found out, I read about a review about the book, The Haywire Heart, in the Washington Post. And the book, the book review was a brilliant book review. I'm going to see if I can link to that below in the show notes because it went over it went over the cover of the book. But then I realized this is exactly the type of content that I like to have on with the podcast. So I reached out to the publisher, of The Haywire Heart, to get put into getting put in touch with with Dr. Mandrola. Now, if if you enjoy the All About Fitness podcast, if you're if you get a lot of information from this, and you're going to get a lot of information today. Two ways that you can support the podcast. One is reach down, however you're listening to the podcast, just give it a quick rating. Five stars, let other people know how much you're enjoying All About Fitness because ratings are like gold for small content creators. It helps the podcast go up in the search rankings. That's one way you can support the podcast. The other is I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you something. If you go to my website and go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, that's my website, go to PeteMcCallFitness.com and sign up for my mailing list. I will send you a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. The other things I'm giving you is I have workouts available. I have a dumbbell workout. I have a kettlebell conditioning workout. I have a total body core training workout. I have eBooks. I have dynamic anatomy. I have a core training eBook. I have a course on training your glutes. I have a lot of content available for you. I've been educating personal trainers for almost 20 years, and now you can buy an eBook. You can buy a workout program. You can buy a webinar and educate yourself on how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. That's exactly what the podcast is about. 
how do we use exercise to A, slow down the aging process because it can, and B, to enhance the quality of life. And that's one of the things I talk about with Dr. Mandrola. And it really is, this is a fascinating conversation for me. You know, if you listen to podcasts on a regular basis, you know I geek out at, at stuff like this. And so when I found out that not only is Dr. Mandrola a cardiologist, but he's a cyclocross racer. And if you've never done, I do mountain biking, right? I go up and down the hill. That, that's fun enough. Cyclocross, though, is kind of like mountain biking meets road biking meets cross-country running. A cyclocross race is relatively short. It's less than an hour. But those athletes are operating at threshold at, at a high threshold the entire time. So to find out that Dr. Mandrola is not only a cardiologist but a cyclocross racer really kind of blew my mind. And what we talk about is we talk about the haywire heart. There, there's something called the athlete's heart, and, and a lot of endurance athletes think they have great aerobic or great cardiorespiratory strength. And aerobic just means your body can use oxygen efficiently. Cardiorespiratory strength means you can move, move that oxygenated blood around to the working muscles. A lot of endurance athletes have tremendous cardiorespiratory fitness, tremendous endurance. But one of the things they're also realizing is that a lot of endurance training can foul up the heart. And that's what we talk about today. And, and Dr. Mandrola's specialty is in the electrical. He's, in electro, he's an electrophysiologist. I need to make sure I read that correctly. He's an electrophysiologist, so he understands how the heart is controlled by electricity. And what we talk about today is at what point does exercise go from being good for you, which it is, to being bad for you? Because that is one thing that the research has shown is that too much exercise can actually be bad for your heart fascinating conversation today. Dr. John Mandrola, a cardiophysiologist and a co-author of the book, The Haywire Heart. I'm Pete McCall on All About Fitness. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Mandrola, a cardiologist out of Louisville, Kentucky. How are you doing today, doctor? Thank you for joining us. Uh, great. It's great to be with you. And uh, just so a reason I want to ask to speak with you today is about your book, The Haywire Heart. What got you interested, what, what kind of wrote, brought your attention to this, and what got you interested in writing the book? Well, you know, it was a joint effort, Pete, with, with Chris Case and Leonard Zinn, and Chris is a journalist, and he had done an article on uh, exercise and heart disease, and uh, he had interviewed me for that. I had written on my personal blog about um, the possibility that overtraining might induce arrhythmias. And uh, it, it even got me into trouble because I, I dared suggest that maybe doing Ironmans are not heart healthy. And that got some publication and then Chris saw it. And then when he wrote the article uh, for Velo News about exercise and heart disease, he got, you know, interviewed me. And then we got together with, and, and did this joint project with the, the Haywire Art, Heart really from a journalistic standpoint. A medical standpoint, and then also Leonard Zinn from from a patient standpoint. And now, your cardiologist. I want to go back to this for a second. What got you? In, what exactly? What does a cardiologist do? And why did you decide to jump into a medical career? What What got you interested in that? Oh, in the very beginning. Yeah. Ah, uh, you know, Pete, I, I went into medicine because my guidance counselor told me that I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor, and, oh, wow. and it got me motivated. And I said, well. I'm going to give this a shot. And then I got interested in science and I found out that if you, if you, if you're, you know, if you work hard, it's, it's really not that, it's really not that complicated. And then when I started doing medicine, 
I found like it was the heyday of cardiology is when we first learned how to treat heart attacks. And it was just so exciting. And the cardiologists were like these, you know, kind of apex predators in the hospital. And I just, I just loved cardiology. So that, that's really how I got into it. And then I went to uh, one of the best places for it back in the day was Indiana. And so I went to Indiana University there and I got a bunch of mentors who were interested in cardiac arrhythmias. And so my specialty is cardiac arrhythmias and I'm an electrophysiologist, as, which, is a, which is a branch of cardiology. Okay, that's great. So a couple of the notes I took on there were related to the electrical signals of the heart. And now also real quick, as going through this, you're a cyclist yourself as well. I and, mean, you know, Leonard Zinn is, is a high performance cyclist that you worked with, but you're a cyclist as well, correct? Yeah. So I, I, um, I began running when I was in medical school, but then uh, when I went to Indiana, it was a huge triathlon community at Indiana. And so I got interested in doing triathlons and swimming and but when I came here to Louisville, Kentucky in 1996, it wasn't long before I got hooked up with one of the local racing teams. And then really around, you know, around 2000 started just bike racing exclusively and, you know, doing criteriums and, and uh, road races. And then, then Louisville, Kentucky actually became a hotbed of cyclocross. Uh, we actually had the, uh, the, the, uh, national champion or the world championships in Louisville. So we became like an epicenter for cyclocross. And I did that uh, for many years, but you know, uh, the last few years I'm, I'm sort of emeritus. I'm, I'm kind of retired, but I like to go out and uh, I like to go out on Saturdays and, and the big training rides and see, you know, see what I've got. Yes. So well, it's interesting here in Carlsbad, sometimes there, you, you see groups of people. It's like a Peloton from the tour on a Saturday morning. There can be like a hundred to 120 cyclists, going down PCH where basically the cards that cards have to yield the right away. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've, I've, I've ridden in, in San Diego County a few times and, and um, uh, I am aware of that. Yeah. We don't have the right, we don't have groups that big, but. Well, real quick, but I just want to stay on this. So you do, you do cyclocross. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, I'm retired from formal racing, but, but for, you know, for about eight years uh, did, did cyclocross with my wife my wife's actually the Kentucky state champion and, um, and my son. And so we did it together as a family. Then my son went to college and my wife retired. And so we kind of retired together, but we ride off road and, and, um, and I ride my cyclocross bike to work. It's my commuter bike now, but yeah, we did that for many years. Well, I mean, for listeners who might not be familiar with it, I mean, you're, that's like what a 40, 45 minute race and the heart rate stays up at like, like really high at a very high threshold the entire time. Right. Oh, Pete, it's crazy. So it's, it's like the most, it's the most intense uh, cycling sport because you started a start line in this grid with, you know, it might be 50 people in the grid, eight across. And, you know, there's always a bend in the course. And so it's like a race, it's a sprint to the first bend. And then from then on, it's, uh, it's basically a 10 K effort the whole way. And, and uh, yeah, so it's, it is intense for sure. Well, the reason why I wanted to ask you that is because it's, it's impressive enough that you're a cardiologist, but that to find out that you're, you're a heart doctor and you do cyclocross, that means you know, and, and what I mean by that is you know, you know from a performance standpoint of what it takes, but then that's what you do in your field. So you, you're, you're the perfect expert to talk to about, about overtraining in, in the heart, correct? Yeah, I don't know about perfect, but, but I, I do, I, I, I've always done endurance sports, bike racing, first triathlon, then, then bike racing. I've run marathons. Um, so I understand the sort of uh, psychology of this and, and I understand, you know, 
what it, you know, how athletes think. And, and I understand overtraining. I've had atrial fibrillation. I've had to struggle with that. And so, you know, that's one of the things that got me interested in this whole topic was that it, it sort of dovetailed with my interest. It, 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 it sort of takes, you know, takes into account both arrhythmias, which I do every day at work. And then what I love to do is endurance sport. And so it was, it was, it was a, it's a fun mix. Sports cardiology is, is fascinating, I think. And it, and it really, because a lot of people, the way I always explain the heart when I, when I teach like workshops on, on cardio training is it's basically like an engine, right? If you're not that, if you're not that condition, your heart's going to be beating faster, like a four cylinder. But then with your conditioning, you're basically turning into an eight cylinder, moving more blood per contraction. Am I correct in that? Yeah, it's not. It's not only that though. The the fitness not only improves your heart's ability to deliver to deliver um, more blood like an engine, but also when you get fit, you train the muscles in your body to extract more oxygen. So it's 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 both really. But yes, the heart. The, look, the heart is so adaptable. If you if you train it, it 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 will dilate. It will get bigger. It'll get stronger. It's just like doing curls with a bicep. It will adapt to the training and then it will be able to pump more blood. And it's, it's just a, such a striking thing to be able to do that. The, the, the trick though is to not overcook it. So that's where, you know, that's where, um, you know, this whole story about how too much exercise could actually uh, cause problems is, is so fascinating. Well, and that's and that's exactly it because I've seen some of these some of these articles pop up and some of the research pop up, especially with ultra racers and endurance you know ultra endurance racers that it could be causing damage. And I think you you refer to something called athlete's heart. And what is athlete's heart? Right. So athlete's heart is this this sort of global term that um, is what we say is what happens to a person when they start getting conditioned. When you start getting fit and you start putting together workouts, the the heart will adapt and it will it will look bigger. Like if you do an if you do an ultrasound of the heart, it will measure bigger. Um, the chambers will get uh, larger because it can incorporate more blood. And those changes that are adaptations of the heart from training, we call that in general the athlete's heart. And, and so really it's a normal, an athlete's heart is a normal phenomenon that comes with, with training. And, and what, so when's that point of diminishing margin utility? You have to understand that my undergrad degree is actually economics and I studied exercise science in grad school and diminishing marginal utility in economics is you, another, another unit of input doesn't produce any extra output. So at what point does exercise go, f- go from being good and productive for the heart to being a negative stressor? Well, Pete, we've only talked for a few minutes and you've already asked a $64,000 question. I mean, that's the problem is that um, whenever, whenever I lecture on this, the most important message, if, 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 if your listeners take one, one message from this, is that overwhelmingly uh, exercise is good for the heart, it's good for the body, and even intense exercise is beneficial. And it's just um, in... In, in these really special cases where um, you combine intense exercise over the decades with a genetically susceptible person who isn't really listening to their body, then you can get into the situation where um, they can actually develop arrhythmias 
and, and heart issues from excess exercise. The, the majority of athletes don't get this, but what I think the most curious thing that got me most interested in this is if you look at an athlete who has atrial fib, for instance, this common arrhythmia, if you look at the inside of their heart by echo or by x-rays, you'll find the same changes that you will find in, say, an obese person who has sleep apnea and overweight. What happens is if the heart is chronically stressed too much, the atrium dilates and, and actually can develop scar tissue within the chambers of the heart. And those areas of scar tissue and that stretching on the heart can actually be the mechanism of where these arrhythmias come from. And that's the same exact mechanism that happens to the average person in Kentucky that I see. They're overweight, their atrium stretches, they get a little bit of scarring, and they get AFib. So what's so fascinating to me is, and it's so curious, is that in athletes who get this, it really looks the same upstream causes, that dilation of the heart and overstretching. It's just, it's just hard to predict who that's going to happen to. You mentioned genetic, and, and, and you're not a geneticist, so it is, you know we can do, we can touch on that. But just in your in your observation, and one thing that I always like to make clear, doctor, is that we there's a lot we don't know, and we don't know anything of definitively about the body. What we do is we have evidence based on the research, but we can't really say. Just so you know, I'm not going to hold you definitively to anything. But all the all the experts I speak with always make it a point that we we are just understanding this via the research. Uh, Pete, this is so important is that we don't know what we know is some small fraction of, of what we don't know. Um, and when I say genetics, I don't mean that um, I don't I don't mean that there's a specific chromosome that this thing happens on. But but what what I mean by that is, OK, just go to a just go to an Ironman or go to a big hundred hundred guy, hundred person group ride. Um, a higher incidence of, of people in that group will have arrhythmias than you would have expect, but you won't be able to know. I mean, you won't be able to look at how much exercise one has done for how long and say, yes, that person's going to get AFib because someone who exercises a little less might get AFib. And what I mean by genetic susceptibility is clearly there's, there's most people who do this for many years and never get into trouble. But if you look at a population of people who do this, there'll be a higher incidence of AFib and arrhythmias than you would expect if you were just sampling a random population. And, and so, that's one, one thing I also point out too, doctor, is that you had Ed Burke, Edmund Burke, who wrote the book on heart rate training, and you had Jim Fix, who wrote The Joy of Running. And I think both those gentlemen died of heart attacks, correct? I don't know about but, Burke, but I know that Jim Fix did. But Jim Fix is a more complicated story because there were other confounders and he wasn't listening to his body and, and, and really, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's a sort of, sort of un, you know, I guess there's an atypical, an atypical story. Well, the, the story that you use in your book, though, with, uh, with Leonard Zinn, I think is really is, is typical of endurance athletes who are used to pushing themselves and, and, and endurance athletes, especially cyclists like yourself and runners are kind of used to the discomfort, right? They, they kind of take pleasure in the pain. So what happened with Mr. Zinn and why is this such, why should people pay attention to this? Well, I think there's a couple things to say about that. And, it, and, and it's exactly right. Is that, um, so 
the same things that make someone really good at endurance sports, say, say bike racing, for instance, bike racing is just a series of the best bike racers, you know, yes, they have good aerobic talent and all that business, but they're also able to withstand a lot of pain and suffering. And so the, the things that make endurance athletics athletes really good is the same thing that could help mask symptoms. So one of the things I always want listeners to take from these sort of messages is that, that they're not normal and their doctors need to know that they're not normal. And that if someone, if an athlete is, is if an athlete is complaining of something and it, maybe it's nothing or whatever, or performance isn't there, not to ignore it and say, I just need to train harder. Or I need to, you know, just put it out of my head is that really older athletes, 50, 60, 70 year olds, even 40 year olds, they really just need to not ignore uh, symptoms that, you know, yeah, it could be, it could be the, you know, it's, I don't know. I just see a lot of athletes who, because they're so stoic and strong, uh, can suppress these symptoms. And it really, they need to listen to their bodies because not listening and ignoring symptoms is one of the ways you can get into real trouble with this. And, and then with that, one of the questions I have is, what do you think would be more of a danger? Would it be the training volume, the amount of training that people are doing, or to be the intensity at which they exercise? Which do you think would be a greater have a greater risk. And I know that's a, I mean, it's a pretty big question, but just, it's kind of like, cause you always have that people who think they have to train every day. And it just sometimes to go back to your point, they need to listen to their body. Yeah. In, in the book, um, we, we talk about, we talk about this and, and it's, I think there's, there's not a specific answer, but there are some clues. Okay. For instance, if you look at if you look at some of the highest incidence of arrhythmias, it seems to correlate strongly with the total duration of exercise over the course of decades. So that's a that's a correlation. It's 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 a relationship there. Um, the other correlate is especially some of the some of the Norwegian studies looking at um, cross country skiers have shown that the athletes who who tend to have the best times and the and and uh, are up to the front of the pack, they tend to have the most, you know, the strongest relationship with arrhythmia. So it does seem that both intensity and duration, not, not over the course of one day, but over the course of decades, they seem to be both correlations. But again, they're just correlations. What we don't seem to see is, we don't seem to see as much of this kind of trouble in sort of, um, in sort of uh, people who do, you know, short, intense exercise, like say, um, you know, I don't know, like weightlifting or CrossFit or whatever. This seems to be a arrhythmia that we see more in runners, triathletes, swimmers, cyclists, uh, long, you know, long distance skiers, um, these sorts of things. Whereas the sort of, you know, skill sports, you see other kinds of problems, but not sort of these, arrhythmia kind of issues. Well, one of the things that I'm actually working on a book right now called ageless, ageless intensity, how high intensity exercise can help slow down the aging process. And one of the things I've come across that's really causing me to scratch my head. I'm trying to, I'm trying to go down the literature in it is reactive oxygen species and free radicals and how there's a different free radical production in endurance and endurance training versus high intensity training. Is that anything that, that you're familiar with or have you seen any, any, any of that information? 
Pete, I would only say uh, I would only say a cursory I would only say a cursory knowledge of it. The but the I guess what I would comment on your 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 comment is that is that that's one potential issue. But one of the things that's so hard with sports cardiology is sorting out all of these different confounding variables. Is that it, it could be a lot of different things. So yeah, I don't I don't know. Well, and that's, and you know what, I think that, I think my listeners are used to hearing the top experts in their field saying, you know, and, and comfortable saying that, that you don't know because we're still collecting the evidence on it. Yeah. I, I think that um, one of the, one of the, one of the interesting areas of research that we're looking at in endurance exercise, and I think that's going to come along is the ability to do um, uh, scans of the heart over time. For instance, there, there are groups looking at if you just went to an went to a triathlon and you you signed up a bunch of people and you did an MRI of their heart and you looked at how much scarring they had um, and then you did it in five years and you just you know you if you do that in enough athletes over time you might be able to make a correlation a better correlation with what what actually is what actually is going on the other thing other area of interest in, of interest is you know, it's hard to imagine now, but I, artificial intelligence and machine learning may be able to go into these databases of athletes and, and try and figure out clues that we can't figure out just by looking at the data that we can see. Well, actually, I, to sit, uh, I had a, a professor on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking, she does her research on exercise and cognitive function, especially in aging. And one of the things we were talking about are the data collection from like Apple Watch. You know, have you, are, are you, do you yourself use Apple Watch and, and have, do you think that as we get more data and, and for listeners, people can opt in, if you have an Apple Watch, you can opt in to have your biometric data added to the database. Your personal information, from my understanding, is taken away, but researchers can get access to your data for how your heart responds. Uh, uh, Pete, this is such an important point is that the, the Apple Watch and the data that's going to come from not just the Apple Watch, but other biosensors is, is I think, potentially going to be a clue going forward. And, and it's, it's, you know, I mean, I started medicine before the Internet, so it's hard to imagine what we'll know five years from now. Um, uh, and, and I think this, this trove of data, this trove of big data is potentially um, going to give us a lot of clues. I don't. For your listeners, I don't use any I don't use any um, measures because what I found with my measures, uh, my watt meter, for instance, on my bike, is every year I got older, it just gave me bad news. So <laughs> I just took it off and just try to enjoy riding for the sake of riding. And if I can hang in the group, then I know I'm doing okay. But I know a lot of your listeners probably like data, but uh, I, I, I'm not really uh, for my personal use. I don't use it. All right, and because uh, I was going to ask something about about using heart rate monitors and and like identifying max heart rate, but I just want to respect your time. So one of the things that really that piqued my interest, you said when we were just talking, is that you study the electrical output. Because one of the things that one of the other analogies I always use when I teach when I teach fitness classes is I use the analogy of the Terminator from the from the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and how the human body can be viewed as kind of a cybernetic organism. So can you talk a little bit about like the how the electrical role or because a lot of people might not be aware of this, so like muscle contractions, heart contractions, and this seems to be your area especially, are controlled via electrical impulses. 
Yeah, so the 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 electrical system of the heart is built within is built within the muscle, but it's also not only is there specialized fibers in the heart, but every heart muscle itself is actually a transmissible wire. So the heart rhythm starts in a specialized system. And, I, and as an aside, Leonard Zinn has a great chapter in our book on this, and he explains it beautifully. But what's what makes the heart's electrical system so interesting is that it starts in, the, in these nodal-like things, these specialized systems, but then the heart, the, the, the electricity goes through the heart, every muscle like a wave. And so if your heart is too enlarged, if it's too enlarged, or if there's scar tissue within the heart muscle, you can, it's like putting a rock in a stream. It just disrupts the flow. And that's where electrical arrhythmias come from. And in a well-trained athlete, in, in an athletic heart that's, that's adapted nicely and, and, and everything is in balance, it works perfectly, but in an athlete who's done too much and has scar tissue and has developed problems, that wave of, of smooth electricity gets disrupted. And that's, that's what's thought to where these arrhythmias come from. Yeah, see, I find that fascinating because a lot of people just don't realize that the role that electricity plays in our body. Now, one of the final questions I have is looking at, you know, for the 80-year-old lifespan, there's, there's an estimation of 3 billion beats. And this is one thing that I know has popped up over, like, at once upon a time, doctors thought that there's a finite amount of time that the body could live, and there's a finite amount of contractions. And this is where you see certain people in, in, in the public image don't exercise because they think there's a finite lifespan on the body. Okay, and I found those, I just thought that was one of the fascinating things, that, that our heart's going to beat about 3 billion times in our lifespan. What is there? Is that really a thing? Is, do we have like a finite amount of heartbeats or of contractions in, in our body? Oh, Pete, this is a great question. Okay, I'm going to tell a story because when we used to run, we run at Indiana University back in the 80s when we were training and we'd go out there and one of the senior cardiologists, he's like written a book in cardiology. He's at this time, he's in his 80s and he thought we were all foolish because he goes, you all are out there in the heat using up all your heartbeats. You know, you only get so many per, 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 uh, per life. But what it turns out is that in super fit people, remember what one of the athletic heart adaptations is, is that you not only train the, the heart muscle and you not only train the muscles to take more oxygen, but you also train our involuntary nervous system. And what happens with training is that the resting heart rate goes down and you're only exercising an hour or two a day. You're not exercising 22 hours a day. I say, just pick a number. And so for that resting period, your heart rate is so much lower that actually a fit individual is gonna use up less heartbeats on, on average, even though they're going to, even though they're going to use, you know, have it high when they're exercising on a course of a 24 hour day. Like when I look at a monitor, when I look at a 24 hour monitor on a patient, the typical 24 hours, it's on average hundred thousand beats per day, hundred thousand beats per day. But on a fit athlete, they might only have 70,000 per day because their resting heart rate is so slow. So over the course of the years, I mean, you're saving so many heartbeats by being fit. And that's the, I think that's the critical message is that exercise is so good for the body. Uh, having an athletic heart, having fitness, it's so beneficial um, in general. I wouldn't want people to get the idea that uh, exercise can be dangerous. 
it can be dangerous at the extremes and it can be dangerous if you're not listening to your symptoms, but in general, it's amazingly beneficial. Well, that's the other thing is I came across, I came across this great piece of research that demonstrated, I think it was what I'm just trying to think, it's like 12 to 13, if, if you add one met, and metabolic equivalent is how your body basically uses oxygen at rest. And what I remember reading is if you add one met to your resting VO2, or if you add, if you can improve your resting aerobic capacity, you can increase your lifespan by 12 to 13%. So, you know, if you can increase that cardiac response, and I think that's, I mean, the, the thing is, what I want, what I think people should realize is that, yes, exercise is good, but just like everything in life, that too much of it may be not so good. Yeah, I mean, in general, uh, uh, in general, fitness correlates so strongly with longevity. But of course, you know, these are correlations, right? You could get hit by a bus or you could have an unfortunate situation and get cancer or whatever. It doesn't it doesn't mean you're going to have this amazing life. But what I always tell, amazingly long life, but I always tell patients about fitness, having seen, you know, when you're a cardiologist for 20 years, you just see people through, you know, their 40s, 50s, 60s, and you see all age groups. I think the most important thing for exercise and fitness is that it may not make you live longer. I mean, it probably will, but even if it doesn't, it improves the quality of life so that when you're older, you can do stuff and you, you're not broken down. And so for, for me, even if we can't prove that it'll make every person live longer, it definitely can improve the quality of life, which is as important, I think. Well, and you mentioned that, and this will wrap up with this, I want to respect your time. Um, you mentioned that you went to, to medical school in the 80s, correct? Uh, medical school, yeah, uh, uh, correct. Okay, because you, cause you seem to be in that generation that now we've had people in the commercial fitness industry since the 1970s. So people now in their 60s and 70s have basically, who've been fit, been exercising, doing triathlons, doing mar- doing 10Ks, whatever, they've been exercising their entire lifespan. And this is, as I'm going through the research for my book, this dawned on me that we've never had this collection of, of, of older adults being this fit before. So this is really brand new territory for you, right? Because all the evidence we, you have is rel- on relatively... You know, sedentary, not high conditioned people, but as as the population ages and the population of fit people ages, we're going to learn brand new things about how the body adapts to aging. Is that is that am I right in that kind of thought? Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I I think that I think that um, uh, the you know the numbers of people that are doing triathlons and 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 marathons and these other endurance events. Not only it used to be all men, but now more and more women. Are doing these sports, I think that will will even it's a guess, but I would guess that when we look at population-based studies, you're we're going to find that um, that people who are fit just tend to do better in in aging, and and I see it every day in the clinic. I mean, you just don't see you just don't see people get into their nineties um, who aren't lean and who you know, they've taken care of themselves and they're just, um, you know, they're just active people. But we're, we have a huge population of people who've been doing endurance exercise for now, like you say, you know, four or five decades. That's going to be a, a big database to, to see what happens in the future. And I think it's going to be all good news.
That's great. So the haywire heart, Dr. Dr. Mandrola, I really appreciate your time. What do you think is the biggest, most important takeaway message from, from the book that you could just, and I want listeners to be able to go out because I think it's a fascinating read to find out exactly how our heart responds to exercise, but what's like one big takeaway that you think somebody gets from, will get from your book? I think, I think a couple of things. Uh, number one, that in general, exercise is a really good thing. Number two, high intensity exercise and exercise that makes you fit is, is, is good in general. And the third thing is, I think just to be aware that being super fit does not inoculate someone against potential problems with the heart rhythm or even with the heart plumbing and that people should go out and get fit and be strong, but they should also be, be mindful that there can be, there can be issues and that they shouldn't ignore symptoms from themselves. Oh, Dr. Mandrilla, I really appreciate that that input. I really appreciate that advice. And for listeners, you can't see him on the video, but he's still in his uh, scrubs. So <laughs> I really appreciate your making time to speak with us today. Sure. My pleasure. Great talking to you. Yeah, as you can tell, that was, hopefully we didn't get too much into the weeds, but it really was. I mean, that was my first time speaking with Dr. Mandrola, and you couldn't see that, but he was, uh, we were recording that. He was in his scrubs. He was in a little meeting in the hospital. So literally he walked away from maybe having his hands in somebody's chest to being able to talk with us for about 45 minutes. And I really appreciate that. And I really, this is such an important topic that I wanted to have him on because there are a lot of people out there, I think like Leonard Zinn, who and that's what the book is about. The book is about Leonard Zinn as a cyclist, kind of his experience. And I think there are a lot of people out there that you maybe do a lot of exercise and you feel something going on with their heart and you don't think twice about it, right? You're like, oh, I work out, I'm fit. I don't need to think, I don't need to worry that much about it. But in reality, doing a lot of exercise can overstress the heart. And I love the fact that there's a book out there, The Haywire Heart. If you're an endurance junkie, if you're a cardio junkie, it should give you some insights maybe into how you can restructure your training. And one of the things that, that I'm looking at um, in writing my new book, I'm writing a book on called Ageless Intensity, How High Intensity Exercise Slows Down the Aging Process. But one of the things they're seeing is that a lot of endurance training creates something called free radicals, a specific free radical called reactive oxygen species. So the theory has always been, if we do a lot of aerobic training, yes, we're fit, we're metabolically fit, we're using oxygen efficiently, but there could be, you could be hitting a saturation point of where you're releasing too many free radicals and those free radicals are actually damaging the mitochondria. This is a very new kind of specific area of study looking at, at high intensity versus steady state exercise. You heard me, I, I kind of referenced this with my interview with Dr. Jenny Etnier a few weeks ago talking about older adults and high intensity interval training because the new theory is they're seeing as we get older that HIT training might actually have some benefits for us. And one of the benefits is it doesn't produce the same type of free radicals that endurance training does. All that to say that this is relatively new science, right? And, that, and that's one of the things I like to try to bring to you is if I see something that's, that's kind of eye-catching or interesting to me, I want to, number one, I want to learn more about it. So doing the podcast gives me the opportunity to reach out to an author and, and learn more about it. And number two, I want to share that with you. And that really is, I need to go down that route. As I learn more, there might be benefits, especially as we get older, to doing high-intensity exercise, shorter periods of higher-intensity exercise than longer periods of endurance training. 
one of those benefits could be less stress, less overall stress on the heart. And I think that's it is fascinating. You know, Jim Fix wrote The Joy of Running. Dr. Edmund Burke wrote the book on heart rate training. Both those men died of heart attacks doing, you know, even though they were advocates, major advocates for promoting a healthy lifestyle. And that's where, you know, I wanted to have this conversation with Dr. Mandrola to find out at what point can we push ourselves hard and what point do we need to back off and listen to what our body might be telling us, listen to what our heart might be telling us. Because if your heart is talking to you, you should listen to it. A lot of fun, great conversation with Dr. Mandrola, the Haywire Heart. If you want to support the podcast, look down below in the show notes. You can pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple, my book. I have a couple other ebooks available. I have a couple workouts available that uh, help you learn how to get fit without overstressing your heart. And you can always con- connect with me. My email is pete at petemccallfitness.com. If you want a free chapter from my book, you can go to petemccallfitness.com, sign up for my mailing list, and I'll send you a free chapter of Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple, so you can try it before you buy it. With that, as always, thanks for stopping by, and I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness. 